Welcome to the How to Survive a Horror Movie podcast, where we learn how to survive horror movies and maybe how to survive life. I'm your host, Ryan Stacy, and today, we've done it. It's over. It's finally over. Yes, Mr. Frodo. Yes, Mr. Stacy. <laughs> we've done it. <laughs> we've made it to the end of the Halloween series today, at least until this fall. <laughs> we watched Halloween 2018 today. You don't believe in the boogeyman. It's over. We've done it. I'm joined by our Halloween correspondent, Derek Kubitschek. Derek, how you doing? Former Halloween correspondent. Yes. yes yeah. Until this fall. The position has been temporarily suspended. Yes. Granted, it took, what, almost a year? Yeah. Almost a year. I'm not going to lie. This was my favorite of the series. Ended it on a high note. It, it ended absolutely on a high note. I think a lot of what I liked about this one is, you, you told me, it's going to be more modern of a movie. Definitely understands me a little bit more from a, a writing perspective in, in our generation and the whole survivalist aspect of everything i love how they dial laurie strode's reaction to uh, her ptsd up to 11 oh yeah and then fast forward the clock 40 years yes this was a lot of fun there are a lot of rule breaks yep a lot of really incompetent characters and really questionable decisions sure as is per usual in the halloween series but this one was fun to watch, and it was a good payoff. Yes. I'm gl- <laughs> it was almost fitting that the Rob Zombie movies came before this one because they just were so different, and this was a return to actually what I realized I preferred, yep. which was weird coming from me about these movies. <laughs> but I've seen 11 of them now. I can officially call myself maybe not a super fan, but I am definitely uh, more experienced with the Halloween franchise, and I would say, what do you think, 99% of people? I mean, or, n- or more. 90, 90. Um, I'm not talking about horror movie oh. uh, community. Just in general yeah. population, yeah. it's got to be 99. You know way more about the horror, the Halloween series than you ever wanted to know. I didn't want to know anything about the Halloween series, and, and yet here are. I am, 11 movies in. You know, this is... The whole reason I started this podcast was secretly just to get you to watch the entire Halloween series. Well, I, I guess... Because funny. <laughs> I guess uh, throw in the towel. Yeah, podcast whole, is done. This whole thing was just an episode of punk this is a really elaborate hoax. It took almost a year. I wouldn't even be mad at that point, by the way. I'd be like, I'm impressed, sir. I'll shake your hand. But no, this is a big moment because the very first podcast we ever did was on the original Halloween. And here we are, uh, 11 movies later, we're done until this fall. It's exciting. It took a while to get there. But lo- actually, it didn't take as long as you'd think because the wheel is spooks. Yeah, statistically, there are eight movies. We just... There was a stretch in there where I think we watched like four of these in like seven weeks, yeah, and we're like, like, what the heck is going on? Yeah. You like changed where it was on the wheel and everything. Yeah. You're like, nope, <laughs> we, we can't keep doing this. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's crazy. But we're here. We're done. And today was fun. I, I really like uh, Halloween 2018. It's my second favorite of the series after the original, um, just because I think this one wouldn't be as good without the original, if that makes sense. Like they're like two halves of the same coin. You need one without the other, and I, the first one came first, and a lot of nostalgia probably, mm-hmm. um, but I love both of them. I, I think they're basically on par with each other. So the point of this podcast is we are trying to create a master list of rules to survive any and all horror movies, and you can check out our current list of 47 rules. Oh my God. 
Uh, it's getting uh, out of hand. It's getting out of hand. Now huh? there are 47 of them. <laughs> you can check out our current list on our Twitter account, at HowToHorror. So we're going to be going through the plot of this movie, beat by beat, decision by decision, trying to figure out if we need to add any new rules. And spoiler alert, there will be at least one new rule today. I there can, will be at least one. I promise you that. So this is exciting. It's been the last three episodes we haven't had any new new rules. We're getting, we are getting one today. It's fitting because uh, the original Halloween's got the record for the most rules set in one movie. Makes sense. It was the first one. But we got seven rules from Halloween one. So, spoiler alert for Halloween 2018. If you've not seen this yet, go see it. It's great. This is coming from someone who still does not like horror movies. This is a fun movie. Yeah. Watch it. You don't even need to see all the Halloweens. If, if you've just seen the original, you can go watch this one and you'll get everything, basically. Uh, honestly, I would prefer that. All right. Well, Derek, anything else? No, let's get into it. All right. Let's get into the plot of Halloween 2018. So the movie begins back at Smith Grove's Mental Hospital, which is where Michael escaped from the original movie. He's back here. He's been here for 40 years. First thing that happens is we meet uh, our new Loomis, Dr. Sartain. Uh, he is Michael's doctor at this hospital. He he studied under Dr. Loomis. He's been the doctor for Michael for years, and he's just fascinated with Michael to an unhealthy point. He's obsessed with understanding Michael, and what Michael feels, how Michael works, all this stuff. And that is Dr. Sartain. Nothing's going to go weird with this guy. Never. You don't get an odd feeling right off the bat. Not at all. <laughs> see, I didn't see it coming well, the first time I saw this movie. I think it was intentional. They, I, I certainly felt suspect sure. of him. But in these movies, that could just be an incompetent character <laughs> versus poor writing versus bad acting versus whatever. Or a cult. Or a cult. You know, it, you never really know with these movies. So I was just like... Eh, this is just going to be another guy who dies eventually in this movie. So did I suspect something truly? I can't say that I did, but there's something off about him. Sure. And then he is meeting up with today at these two podcasters, Aaron and Dana. They're from England. Um, they do a true crime podcast. And they are their next episode is going to be all about Michael Myers. And they, they too are like fascinated with Michael. And they want to understand him. And that's like the whole point of this movie, I feel like, is these people are so desperately want to understand and try and make sense of Michael, and there's nothing to make sense of. Laurie and Dr. Loomis were 100% right. There's nothing to figure out. He's just a psychopath who kills people. Sometimes the simplest solution is the correct solution. And I really like that theme. Yeah, there's no lesson here. No, the whole time they're like talking about Michael's after Laurie Strode. No, he's not. He just gets randomly sent on a series of events that puts Laurie Strode in his crosshairs just by chance. He was never breaking out to find Laurie. That right. wasn't a thing. He's just out killing and then... And that's in this particular movie, yes. by the way. So, I mean, if you watch the other ones, that's wildly inconsistent. But yes. I like this theme much better. More yeah. of he's just unstable and wants to kill people. That's that's what he does. That's what made him so scary the first time. Mm -hmm. And that's why he's so scary this time. Mm -hmm. It's it's great. For those of you who don't know, Laurie Strode and Michael Myers are not brother and sister in this time. They even poke fun at it. Yeah, they make they make fun of that later. So yeah, it's just Michael is just unstoppable killing machine. And it's great. But point being, these people are trying to figure him out. Yes, and they're not going to succeed. No. And it's great. Dr. Sartain takes the podcasters out into the yard and they get to like get fairly close to Michael. He's chained up. Aaron has the Michael mask from the first movie. And he shows it to Michael and tries to get a reaction out of him and nothing. Nothing. All the other inmates freak out, but Michael's just like, eh, whatever. And then they also mention that Michael's about to be transferred to a new facility. Oh, this has never gone wrong before. Seriously, uh, the Fast and the Furious crowd, like Dominic Toretto, only their people should be transporting this. Because all of the problems in the latter of those films 
all come when things are getting transported from one place to another and then they use cars to overtake and steal the package or whatever, you know. They should be using Dominic Toretto and and Roman Pierce and everyone to transport Michael from one place to the next. It should be nothing less. This is the crossover event I didn't know I wanted, but now I desperately <laughs> needed. Fast the Furious 10... All Hallows Eve. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> we need a couple of precision drivers. You know we got that. <laughs> we got to get Michael Myers. <laughs> Wait, where is he? Uh, Tokyo, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to Tokyo eventually. <laughs> and they got to transfer him from one facility to the other. And when Vin Diesel has a fist heart with Michael Myers, I want it. Well, and The Rock will show up. And as The well. Rock's going to show up. This is this is the crossover. This is the Rock's mission, and he's like, "I need a team to help me with this because it's Michael fucking Myers." Let's do it. So Aaron and Dana they leave, and they're gonna go see Laurie Strode instead now. And they they uh, they go to her 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 house, which has a big gate in front of it, and they offer her three thousand dollars for an interview. And we get to see her house for the first time, and it's like what we're gonna see more details later. It's gradually revealed to us, but she's got gates, she's got fences, she got security cameras. She's turned her house into a fortress, basically your average stereotypical cabin in the woods. Yes. Full-on survivalist stuff, and this is just the tip of the iceberg. We're going to see... It's just amazing. So, all of you survivalist fans out there who are fans of this podcast, this is the gold standard. This is what we should all strive to live like. We all need to be reclusive hermits, locked and loaded with a fully automated defense system out in the woods, all of this stuff. This this is hashtag the dream right here. <laughs> Ryan, you need help? <laughs> But that's okay. At least you'll be ready for a fight. Yeah, someday. This this is this is what you want. Now, obviously, this is expensive, uh, <laughs> and that's why some of us are trapped in uh, uh, shitty uh, apartments with with no defense mechanisms besides the chain on the door. <laughs> this lady's collection of firearms alone is a small fortune. I have yeah. no idea what she did in order to get this money. Whether it was some kind of lawsuit or I don't know. I hope it's that she just married rich guys and then divorced them to get their money to finance her operations. You no, know, that is, they do go into a point that she was married and divorced, divorced three times. Twice. It was twice. Was it twice? Yeah. So I'm hoping that's what it was. Like, that's clever. Um, other than that, maybe she won a huge lawsuit against Smith Grove. Yeah. <laughs> don't know. But uh, yeah, this, this is the good stuff right here. It's very uh, Burt Gummer from Tremors. That, yeah. Who is... The OG, my my hero. You know, if Randy Meeks is my hero in terms of philosophy, uh, Bert Gummer is my my hero in practice. Hero in preparation, yeah. for sure. And Laurie Strode had taken a couple of pages out of the book of Bert Gummer. So I fucking love it. This is good stuff. This is my, my jam right here. So they do a, an interview, and it doesn't go that well. They talk about her failed marriages. Uh, her daughter, Karen, got taken away from her when she was 12 because she was a, not a good parent. Wonder why. She just taught her survivalist stuff. <laughs> Aaron's like, hey, maybe you should go talk to Michael Myers, and you know, you could say whatever you wanted to say to him. And Lori just kicks him out after that. She's like, I'll take my money. You can leave. Yeah, that's a really bad plan. Yeah, it's a terrible plan. Uh, don't go to the mental asylums, especially if your old rival serial killer is there. It's a bad call. Yeah, absolutely. And granted, Mike, we know Michael doesn't care about Lori. It's not yep. that it's Lori. So it wouldn't have done anything if she would have gone and visited Michael. All it might have done is maybe put her guard down or made her feel more uneasy. Who knows? Yeah. But point no is, reason to go there. Point is, I want to say this is following Rule 21. She is learning from past events. Like, no, 
Yep. I I don't want to be anywhere near Michael Myers ever. Yeah, this whole thing is Rule Twenty One. Her house, all mm, her her everything. lifestyle, everything is learning from past events. Now it's dialing it up to eleven. Yep, and that's what we're here for. And that's what we're here for. It's, it is the eleventh Halloween movie, so it makes sense for <laughs> dialing things up to eleven. So then we meet uh, Karen, uh, played by Judy Greer, who is Laurie's daughter. Her husband Ray, who's just kind of like oh dad joke kind of guy. I like Ray. And then their daughter, Allison. So Lori's granddaughter. And this is a little fun Easter egg. Allison is dating a kid named Cameron. Uh, we'll meet him later. But Cameron's dad is a guy named Lonnie, who's a character in the original movie. who's one of the bullies picking on uh, the little boy, Tommy Doyle. Uh, and he ran into Michael. So they're at the school when they're bullying him and they knock the pumpkin out of his hand. Yeah. And they run away. And then later on, they, they, they go to the Myers house and Dr. Loomis scares the shit out of him. Hey! Lonnie, get your ass away from there. That's that's funny. So just a little quick thing. That's oh. funny. I like it. So I'm hoping they bring in Lonnie for the sequel. That's what we need. Allison's going to school and we meet her best friend, Vicky, and her boyfriend, Dave. And there's not much to these characters, but they're likable. You know, a lot of these movies, um, in a lot of slasher movies, the teenage characters are all pretty one note. And that is mostly true here. They're modern day one note characters, but they're all at least likable. At least at first. So that's, they all have charisma. So I think that's one of the reasons why this movie works over like an 80s slasher. I would agree with you. I was starting to think at this point, wow, they're introducing a lot of characters. This is starting to feel like Game of Thrones season one, except, you know, American name. So I can actually remember some of them the (laughs) first go through, which is a good thing because you're not going to get a lot of time to see most of these characters. But I was thinking, wow, they are introducing... An unnecessary amount of people. Oh my god. They are all gonna die. And surprisingly, not all of them do. Not all they of them they do. leave a couple. A couple of surprising people to live. Yeah. Just uh, kinda of, out of nowhere. There's a couple of surprising ones that never even meet Michael. Right. Uh, exactly. Cameron, for example, the douchey boyfriend who we'll meet later. Cameron never runs into Michael and he survives the movie. That's why it's gonna be a trilogy. I'm yeah. sure he'll be back. Yeah. So But I remember when he was left at the party, I was thinking, oh, Okay, well, well, we'll, see, we'll see him later. Proceeds to not see him nope, later. He's done. I like it. Yeah, that's how you escape a horror movie. <laughs> Cheat on your girlfriend. Or, or avoid avoid a horror movie. He didn't even know there was a horror movie for him to avoid. That's the best part. Yeah, well, so, hey, if you take precautions. Sometimes it's better be lucky than good. Absolutely. So we, we meet Vicky and Dave, and again, there's not much to them, but this is where they, they mention the, they make uh, Dave. is like, hey, isn't like she uh, Michael Myers' uh, sister or something? No, that's just something people made up. And then we meet Cameron, who, like I said, is uh, Lonnie's kid. Um, he seems nice at first. We're going to find out he's a douche later. And his best friend is a guy named Oscar, who looks kind of like Josh Gad. A little bit. And he's like a nice guy. He's a class clown, kind of feel uh, gregarious, maybe a little bit annoying and a bit overbearing at times, yeah. but he means well. He means well. We're going to get like a classic nice guy moment with him later. Like, hey, you should be with me. You just broke up with your boyfriend. And, but I think he like immediately feels bad when he realizes he's misread the situation. I, I would agree. I don't, I don't think poorly of Oscar for the situation, um, just because I remember being an awkward high schooler at one yeah. time, and don't worry, most of us grow out of it. Well, of the teenagers, Oscar is probably the most realistic character, I'd say, out of all the teenagers, so I think he's well-written. He is. I'll agree with that, and well-acted. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's just well-done all around. Oscar's a good character. I wish he'd got a little bit more to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's only got a handful of scenes, but he's good. And then we get a really, really great shot. Allison's in school. You know, it's just like in the first movie, Lori's in class and she sees Michael staring at her through the classroom window. And this time, Allison looks out the window and Lori's the one standing outside. 
it's awesome. Really great moment. That's another theme in this movie. Who's the predator? Who's the prey? Kind of thing. They, yeah. they switch it on you a couple times. So I, I enjoyed this. This was fun. That's the fun stuff. I really like that stuff. So Lori and Allison meet up, and Lori gives Allison the three grand. She's like, hey, use it. Go on a trip to Mexico or something. Just have fun with it. Wow, um, you're my favorite grandma. Allison wants to have a relationship with her grandma, but Karen's been kind of getting in the way of that. Uh, Which I don't blame Karen for. No, not at all. Uh, Karen kind of had a shit life, so she wants to kind of sever ties, but Allison still wants her grandma in her life. I mean, she's giving out three grand. I don't blame Allison. No, but even beyond that, it's it's definitely a complex family dynamic because Allison is old enough to know what she wants now. Mm-hmm. She's not old enough to necessarily know what's best for her. So just a little bit of a stress in terms of the family dynamic, which is interesting. Lori, we also see she's got a a gun range now and just a bunch of guns. Like, she's got her own gun range. This was actually my favorite part of the first act of this movie because so far we've heard that Grandma Lori is a a little crazy. But then we see, like, oh, no, she walks the walk and talks the crazy talk (laughs) because she's just laying the head shots and the body shots and the leg shots. She has been prepping for this moment yeah she has and you gotta wonder is she just scared of the rest of the world or is it specifically michael it's they don't really ever answer that question but she's always had it in the back of her mind and you can see it it's crazy she's a badass oh yeah absolutely so aaron and dana they're listening to a tape of dr loomis and basically it's him going yeah we need to kill michael and burn his body and destroy everything yeah this is the right call yeah uh dr loomis rule 21 learn from past events you can't Kill this guy with a conventional measure, so uh, just incinerate until there is nothing left. Perfect. <laughs> From beyond the grave, he's following the rules. At this point, now Michael's being transferred, and Lori knows about this. She's outside the facility drinking. She's got a gun, and she's watching Michael get loaded onto this bus with a bunch of other inmates to get transferred to this new facility. And uh, Dr. Sartain is on board as well. If I'm Lori, I think I follow this bus the whole way to the facility and make sure nothing bad happens. It's weird because I think the only reason she doesn't is because she had talked with Allison beforehand and Allison told her to forget it. And so she had this weird conflicting moment where it's like, okay, either I'm going to be at this uh, NHS dinner with my family or I'm going to have to follow Michael Myers on the day, the first day in 40 years where he's being transferred. And she ends up picking her family, which I think is a really cool a decision from a character dynamic because it's what's going to throw everything into chaos. But I want to I want to jump over to the other side of things for a second. Why did this weird ran he's not a random doctor, but why did he get to go on the prison bus? They tried to stop him and he's like, "No, I'm going to finish this." That is not how protocol works. Ryan, you are a security guard. If someone is trying to get on a bus that's not supposed to get on that bus, what do you do? Well, here's the thing. He has an interesting spot cuz he is Michael's doctor. Yes, he is. And that that there might be something there where he could overrule that because he is the doctor. There, it's always tricky with doctor patient stuff. That's you know? fair. So I I buy it. I think that there's definitely a way this could have happened, especially if he's a higher up at the facility. I I, I buy it. I, I could buy it. I buy it enough. I just wanted to bring it up because I was like, ugh. Yeah. Ugh. So Ray, Karen, Allison, and Cameron are all at dinner together because Allison just got into the National Honor Society. Yep. And Cameron's meeting the parents for the first time. And it seems like they're having a pretty good time until Lori shows up kind of drunk, crying, rambling about seeing Michael, kind of unstable. And it just kind of devolves pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, And they get her a ride home. (laughs) Yeah. 
And at this point, we get a little bit of a flashback. Karen, Judy Greer's character, talks about how she was raised as a survivalist. We see her, the 12-year-old version of her, shooting guns, doing all this stuff. Um, so a little bit of development for her makes a little bit more sense why she's not thrilled with her mom. Right. Then we meet a, a, a little kid named Kevin. I guess I don't know how old he is. Middle school, probably. Yeah. Like seventh grade, sixth grade, something like that. Yeah, it feels right. And his father. Um, they're going hunting. Uh, Kevin doesn't really want to. He wants to go to dance class instead. But, uh, nope, they're going hunting, driving out at night, and they come across a school bus, or the bus crashed on the side of the road with a bunch of inmates from the mental hospital roaming around. Rule number one. You're in a horror movie. The first rule to surviving a horror movie is knowing that you're in one. This is 101. You find a, a, a crashed bus of inmates. That, that, is, that is a trope. Yeah. Not only is this for the audience reminiscent of uh, the first movie, yeah. like, this is just... Good old common sense. You know what you do? You keep on driving and you call the cops. You don't tell the kid to call the cops and then go see if the inmates are okay. Uh, I think for the father here, this is, uh, don't be a good Samaritan. There's uh, a lot here. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it. So yeah, but yeah, good point. Rule number 30 is don't be a good Samaritan. So yeah. don't stop to help and check on these people and see if they're okay. And also just stranger danger. Stranger danger, which is rule number 18. 18. But there's more. Rule number 11 is get out. Get out! This is the time where you turn your car around and go back the way you came. This is the era of cell phones. You can call for help that way and not get involved. And crazy thing, when they're still in their truck and everything is still in front of them in their headlights, I would say that they are all, both of them are able to avoid this horror movie altogether. You can just keep driving yep. like through it because the bus is very clearly off the road. We know that Michael can be subdued by vehicles. So if someone like gets in, we just run him over and just keep going. Yep. You can still avoid this horror movie. This is really bad on their part. This is very bad. On the dad. This, the dad. We won't put this on the kid too much. But then also, rule number 19, don't split up, gang. Let's split up and look for clues. Yep. Because the dad's going to go out and look around. He tells the kid to call the cops, which he does. Yep. Then dad kind of disappears. And he, he gets killed off screen. They'll find the body later. I'm guessing he just walked up. It's like, hey, you go right. And Michael probably just killed him. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty gruesome, like, neck break. Yeah. Uh, That's how you do a body reveal if you're not going to show this kill on screen. Make the body reveal gruesome. Mangled. Mangled. So, I mean, do we want to talk about him now, or do we want to wait just a couple minutes? Yeah, we can just talk about him now, because that was a whole list of bad, bad rule breaks. He did nothing right. Yeah. You know, he should have gotten out. He shouldn't have left his kid. He should have just left. He shouldn't be a good Samaritan. He didn't bring a gun with him, even though they were hunting. Yep. Terrible. So, he had a chance to avoid this horror movie. Do I think he had much of a chance to escape it? We will never know. Yeah. Kevin, meanwhile, you know, he talks to the cops for a little bit, and then he gets scared wants to find his dad, and Kevin brings a gun with him. Well, I think it was implied the cops were asking, what road are you on? Sure. And so, he was going to get out and check a road sign, and then nothing, I mean, nothing was there, but then, obviously, he got freaked out by the, the bus driver who was still alive, but clearly dying. Yeah. But he locks and loads. Yeah, he brings five, his gun. Brings his gun with. Uh, he comes across a, uh, a guard who is wounded and the, tells him to run. Yep. Yeah? Yeah, you know what? This is uh, Rule 28. Uh, run, bitch, run. Yep. Run, bitch, run! Just, you know what? I don't know. I don't know this guy. But he's, like, messed up, and he is telling me to run. I'm gone. I, I don't need any better advice. I'm, I'm gone. <laughs> uh, but he wants to find his dad. He's a little kid. So he goes over to the bus and finds Dr. Sartain on board, who jumps out. It's like, don't shoot! And, of course, Kevin shoots. I, st- I like this move. Yeah. Because if you're actually 
in need of assistance, you should make yourself known if there's help to be found. It just felt weird. I mean, yep. we're going to understand why l- later. Dr. Chartain is unstable. He is unstable. And you know what? I don't blame the kid at all. No, no, absolutely not. Should first ask questions later. Yeah, yeah. At this point, absolutely. Yes, you are in a horror movie. And this scares Kevin. Kevin runs back to the car. He does not check the back seat. Rule number two, constant vigilance. Michael grabs Kevin from behind and kills him. Kills the kid. Brutal. You know, there are petty rule breaks for this, but we have to think about his cognitive abilities and all of this. He was listening to his dad, which kids are dependent. Yeah. And he honestly, he locked and load, which is more than his dad did. He did better than his dad. Yeah, he he got a round off into good shot, too. Like (laughs) Got the Dr. Sartain right in the shoulder. And then he was trying to GTFO. He was going to leave his dad behind. Yeah. Good stuff. But just rule number thirty-five: no one to cut ties. He knew when to cut ties, so he he. Given the situation, I think Kevin performed admirably. Yeah, he yeah. didn't have a chance. Bad break, uh, especially in his neck. Yes, but this is. I'm going to put all of the blame on Kevin's father. It's all of it's on his dad. Bad break for him. He was doing things despite his situation. So yeah, good on you overall, Kevin. It is unfortunate. Yeah. And so as for the bus crash, it's implied that Dr. Sartain caused this crash. We never learn how, with what, what exactly happened. We never learn, and I am fine with that. I have no issues with never knowing that. So we can't really talk about anybody who died in the crashes because we don't see anything. Well, what happened was uh, Vin Diesel was on the bus. Oh, yes. And so uh, Brian O'Connor and and, uh, Mia Toretto... They were trying to break him out, and he actually has gone. They said that there were two prisoners on the bus missing that were unaccounted for. Michael Myers and Dominic Toretto. Yeah, and Michael that's, Myers and Dominic that's Toretto. That's the extended version. <laughs> so this is a crossover that was happening, and we, it was it was right there, Ryan. They just cut the scenes out because they, they're like, eh, we'll, we'll save that for the next movie. So then we meet Deputy Hawkins, who's played by Will Patton, who's been in tons and tons of movies. This guy's interesting because after the events of Halloween 1, he was the first cop to show up to help Dr. Loomis capture Michael and, and Loomis wanted to kill Michael and Deputy Hawkins stopped that from happening and, and somehow took Michael into custody. Don't know how he did that. We never see it and that's fine. Ryan, um, can you remind me at the end of the first one, is Michael Myers' body gone yeah, at the end? Yeah. Okay, so it's just implied that they did end up catching yeah, him. Yeah, they caught him a couple blocks later, uh, a few minutes later. Dr. Loomis wanted to put a bullet in his brain and uh, Hawkins would not let him. Yeah. Okay, fine. I mean, that's, you know, you're not supposed to necessarily gun down the people you're trying to arrest when you're a cop. Yes. Fine, whatever. But Deputy Hawkins gets the call about this bus, and so he goes out there. um, He finds the body of Kevin's dad at this point, and then finds Dr. Sartain still alive. And when he gets there, he he follows rule number 12. He's immediately calling for backup. He isn't playing hero. No. Uh, He's here, and he's like, yeah, I need help. This, This is a situation. And unfortunately, this is his job. This is his mess to clean up, at least in part, but... Yeah. He's doing it right. Yes. It is now Halloween, October 31st. Aaron and Dana, they go visit Judith Myers' gravestone, and they are being followed by Michael Myers. And they haven't heard about the bus crash yet, so... It takes a while for a lot of these characters to learn about this bus Yeah, bus don't crash. any of these people have smartphones? You'd think that that would be a breaking news. Hattonfield, Michael Myers goes missing, bodies everywhere. <laughs> I mean, the news is waiting for juicy stuff like this yeah. to happen. Yep, it's true. They're busy working on their podcast. No, of course. Uh, I can relate. Uh, Deputy Hawkins and the sheriff, who, who doesn't get that much to do in the movie. He's only in a couple scenes. But we meet the sheriff, too. They're, they go to the hospital. They're, they're there with Dr. Sartain. And the sheriff mentions, like, oh, what are we going to do, man? What, are we going to cancel Halloween or something? Yes. That's the correct move, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Haddonfield's not that big. Yeah. 
Uh, I was just watched this episode of uh, one of those cold case shows where it was about this little girl who got uh, kidnapped and murdered and a couple days before Halloween. And so they canceled Halloween because like, oh, well, there's a murder on the loose. So we're going to cancel Halloween. You can do that. Yeah, that's not an unreasonable. I think this might be. I don't want to say the, the the biggest mistake in the movie, but the most costly. Yeah. Because if you do your job and spread the word that there have been some grisly murders and there is a, a serial killer on the loose, yeah, l- people need to know that kind of thing. Rule number three, do your damn job. And he does not do his job. Nope. I hope he comes back in the next movie and dies. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, because we're just going to lose him here pretty yeah, quickly. Uh, one, one more scene? He's got, like, two more scenes, um, and then he disappears from the movie. So Aaron and Dana, they stop at a gas station. We see Michael very briefly in the background, which I didn't notice the first time I saw that movie. Yeah. And Michael walks by. Dana goes in to go to the bathroom, and as she's going, we can see in the background Michael murdering a mechanic. Pretty cool stuff. I love that. I love that kind of stuff. For the mechanic, nothing. I got absolutely nothing for him. He had no chance to avoid, and he had no chance to escape, No nothing. As far as we know, he had no idea that he was even in a horror movie. And as we know from any timeline, fist fights with Michael Myers never go well. Oh, yeah. We're going to see that soon. Yes. For like a seven-year-old guy, he's he's pretty tough. I guess he's like in his 60s, I think, here or something like that. That's fair. Pretty tough, though. So Danny goes to the bathroom, and Michael enters, and Aaron, meanwhile, finds... Two mechanics dead. He finds the first one and then finds the second one dead. Same for the thing for the second guy. I got nothing for him. In the bathroom, Michael is like pushing on Dana's stall door and then drops a bunch of teeth inside. This is classic Michael. He's a little theatrical at yeah. times. Like he doesn't talk, but he uses body language. I mean Have some teeth. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So Dana, rule number one. You're in a horror movie. Aaron, rule number one. You're in a horror movie. <laughs> now, this this becomes a fork in the road for Aaron because he's going to go looking for uh, his, his partner. What's her name? Dana. Dana. He's going to go looking for Dana. He technically does not have to do this if survival is the name of the game. So, as far as we know, they are not dating. They are just podcast partners. Yeah. Okay. So, Derek, you and I are podcast partners. Yeah. You're trapped in a bathroom. Michael Myers is in there with you. I think I'm just going to go. This Okay, this is what I would... This is, I think, the request I would make, okay? Okay. This is as far as my expectations would go. Open the door, okay? And you uh, see that Michael is standing outside the stall door because I did not beware of bathrooms as Zombieland <laughs> would have asked me to do. That's when you go, all right, time to go. And, okay, you have at least let me know that... I'm probably gonna die, and you know maybe you'll get lucky. Michael will follow me, and I'll run to my car and drive away. Because he's not fast. Yeah, and 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 you'll you'll you might have time to escape. Yeah, I would do that for you, like, but that's Ma- about it. Like Michael can get distracted, but what I do not want, actually, you know what? No, Ryan, I do want you to engage in close quarters combat with Michael Myers, so you can escape, so that I can escape. Yeah, that's unlike fair. Dana. Yeah, who just completely falls apart th- th- this is another classic michael myers rule 10 break yeah rule 10 don't panic because yeah. dana's really gonna panic here but yeah rule 35 don't want to cut ties aaron you can always find a new podcast partner but he's all about the story and i bet you he can see it now he'd be recording his podcast and talking about he he is the one who took down michael myers yeah no no you're not i mean if you succeeded that'd be a great story but you're not gonna succeed even though we haven't really talked about the fact that they, they, they fight. I mean, Aaron confronts Michael in yep. the bathroom before Michael has a chance to actually inflict real damage on Dana. But before that, Dana starts like crawling underneath the bathrooms to get away. She's in a tough spot. It's hard to get out of a bathroom. 
Yeah, no, I mean, she's doing everything that she reasonably can. Yep. I mean, she's panicking, but she's panicking and doing something about it. And, and there's she'll not a whole freeze up in a little bit, though. Yeah, and there's not a whole lot that you can do from this position. So Aaron busts in with a crowbar. Rule number five, lock and load. Sure. Tries to attack Michael. Doesn't go well. Rule number seven, don't leave your weapons behind. And he's going to drop it. Yep. So he's going to lose his crowbar, and then basically Michael's just going to beat Aaron to death. And that one's more off screen, I'll say, because I mean, he, you know, gets his head beat against the wall, but the last time we see him, he is alive. Yeah. Bleeding in a corner. So I, it wouldn't be the biggest shock in the world if they somehow bring him back for the next movie. They, they've done weirder yeah. things. They did it with Dr. Series. Loomis in Halloween 2 after they blew up. Yep. Like, I wouldn't be stunned, but I, if Aaron did die here, not surprising either. So we'll just count him. We'll, we'll just say he probably died, but, you know, he could maybe live. Yes. But uh, he might have some brain damage. He, he certainly uh, is going to need some rehabilitation yeah, of some kind. Probably some dental work. Oh, God. But Dana grabs the crowbar. Good, and good. Lock and load. That's great. And then Michael picks her up and she drops the crowbar. Firmly grasp it. Rule number seven. And, well, and I think my biggest break of all of this is like, okay, Dana, do you know what's just happened? Even though, fuck destiny, the winds are blowing in your direction favorably. Michael Myers is really preoccupied with your partner who is basically already dead. How about you just get up and, you know, go elsewhere? Number 11, get out. Do something. It's time to go. Pokes with stick. Do some, Pokes with crowbar. Do, do something. something. And she does not. No, she just gets throttled to death. So that's the end of our podcasting team. Rip. Our, for our first podcasters who've shown up on the podcast... They're not doing very well. They're not representing. Especially being, like, true crime podcasters. Yeah. They're, they're too obsessed with the story and not... You know what? They're not, they're, they're not cautious enough. They're, they're dealing with some pretty sensitive stuff. Yeah, and they're going to join... They're, they're going to be part of a true crime podcast someday. <laughs> I don't want to say... I don't want to go so far as to say Rule 32, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. That's too far, I think. But if you're doing a podcast where you are constantly introducing yourself to... Uh, known monsters, human monsters, you can't really be that surprised if something happens. Sure. So Michael goes to their car and gets his mask back. So Mike, Michael is almost to his final form. He just needs a knife. If you were playing Skyrim, he's got the armor that he wants. Yep. So at this point, there's a news report about the bus crash. Lori hears this. Lori, rule number one, you're in a horror movie. And she locks and loads. She's got, she's got her guns. She's, she's ready. And by the way, Lori's entire goal here is to destroy Michael Myers. Yeah. She, it's not about survival. It's not about avoidance. Well, that, it's about survival, but not avoidance. Right. I like, mean, she wants to live. It's not solely about survival. I mean, she could have gotten her car and driven miles and miles and miles away at this point. Yeah. I mean, she has a goal. It's to kill Michael Myers so that she might survive and save her family and whatever. Yep. All of these things. Yes. But she wants to defeat Michael. She's going to go on the offensive. Yes. She also reveals she has a secret room hidden underneath, like, the kitchen island counter, yeah. which is awesome. Which, by the way, Ryan, I hear that if you uh, go into uh, her basement and you go underneath her workbench, you'll end up in Blackreach. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, I've heard that as well. If you dig far enough in the Halloween franchise, you will end up in Blackreach. <laughs> so the trick-or-treating starts. Uh, Karen goes home. She hears a noise upstairs. It's not Ray because Ray walks in. It's Lori. And she's like, bang, you're dead. And she points a gun at Karen. Okay. Lo- <laughs> okay, like, she's trying to, like, prove a point. Like, you weren't ready for my attack. You know, like, 
come on, rule number four, don't be a menace. Laura, you want them to take you seriously. This is not the way to do it. Yeah, this is kind of like a careful what you say and how you say it. This isn't a great way to make a point when you've been considered a paranoid maniac for the last 40 years. And this is my least favorite scene in the movie because Laurie's... This is the point where you stop and explain, hey, there was a bus crash. Michael Myers is on the loose. Turn on the TV. I'm not making this up. He's on the loose. He's coming to Haddon Field. We need to be ready. Honestly, she should have had the TV on when they came home. Sure. And hopefully the news is still reporting on it. Or have the radio on or a news article up on her phone if she has one. There were so many ways that she could have handled this differently. And the way that she did it was pretty much the worst. Like bring a gun into your family's home who uh, don't want you anywhere near them because they think that you're a lunatic. This is this is not this is not a good look. Rule number nine, be careful what you say and how you say it. This eh, is horrible break. This is horrible. I really hate this scene. This this scene alone caused this movie to drop a, a whole star. If I were to give like a star review, this scene alone. <laughs> I, I hate this scene. Break, this, this isn't even a breakdown in communication. It's just a failure of communication, period. Utter failure. It, it's so bad. So Karen and Ray kick her out, and I don't even blame them for doing it, because yeah. she doesn't explain what's going on. And she's trying to like hand them a gun. Keep the gun. Keep the gun. And they're like, how about you just leave? Yeah. <laughs> So, I, honestly, I don't blame them for doing this. Lori handled this in the worst way possible. Of course, Karen and Ray are going to kick her out. In, in a, Again, in a really roundabout way, even though it works against them, uh, this is learning from past events as well. Like, my mom is off kilter. I am just going to put her outside, and she'll find her way home. Yep. Bye. Yep. And Ray because says, that, hey. that's its own version of a horror movie. She's in your house with a gun. She's completely unstable, seemingly. And Ray's like, hey, it's not your job to save her. You're right. Let her go. Yeah, no one to cut ties. No, Good no job, one, Ray. No one to cut ties. And now, luckily, it's they're going to luck out later on, you know, where Lori is going to come back and get them to safety. But still, kind of annoying. Yes, this this was the worst scene in the movie. So Lori goes to the gas station where there's a crime scene set up. They found all the bodies at the gas station. And this is where we learn a little bit of uh, Hawkins' backstory. But we already talked about that. So Michael just starts wandering the streets. And this might be my favorite sequence in the movie. It's, it's a one long take of him going through houses and killing people. I love this. And you know what? It wasn't until you, uh, a film major, pointed out to me the difficulty in, in shooting long prolonged shots like this you pointed out one in a game of thrones it was mm-hmm. season four we yeah. were just talking about this yesterday it was the shot when they're uh in castle black and they do a, a panoramic shot yep. and there's just action happening everywhere and it's like 45 seconds and you're like oh that shot is amazing and i had a whole new technical appreciation for what was going on because you're like Derek, you know this is all one shot i'm like actually <laughs> yes yes i did notice it's really great so michael goes up into this shed and takes a hammer out of there. He's locked and loaded. Goes to the house, the first house he sees. Through an unlocked door. For, through an unlocked door. So, rule number 25 is lock your doors. This woman just had her door unlocked. Michael walks in and beats her to death with a hammer. Dead. She didn't know she was in a horror movie, but the horror movie will sometimes come and find you. And you know how you stop that from happening? You lock your doors. You lock your doors. So then Michael walks down the street, leaves the baby alone. There was a baby in the house. He doesn't kill the baby. He goes to the next house. And the woman inside of this house is just getting a phone call, presumably about like the bus crash. Yep. So she might. So now she knows she's in a horror movie. And she's like, okay, I'm gonna lock my doors. Unfortunately, Michael's already inside of her house. And before she can lock her doors, Michael kills her too. Lock your doors. Lock your doors. Just keep them locked all the time. A little bit of constant vigilance. A little bit of lock your doors. I don't think there's anything she could have done anyway. But yep. And meanwhile, Allison, Cameron, and Oscar are attending the Halloween party at their high school. Allison gets a call from Vicky, who is off babysitting for the night. 
and she's babysitting a little kid named Julian, who is just the best. I love Julian. I hope he comes back in the next movie. He is so funny. They have great chemistry. They're, like, ripping on each other, but they actually really care about each other. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful. I, I love this. Um, and Vicky's like, yeah, you guys can come over to the party, and we'll we- smoke weed, <laughs> basically. It's like, you're not going to smoke weed in my house. <laughs> I'm just sitting here cutting my nasty-ass toenails. <laughs> He's so funny. You know, I will say the the children in the Halloween series have a pretty good track record of not being utterly useless. Yeah, that's true. And Julian is probably my... Mm, ooh. It's him and Jamie. They're a top yeah, two. Yeah, I'm trying to... Th- I think in terms of how much I like them, I think I like Julian more than Jamie, but I think Jamie is more useful. Halloween 5 brings Jamie down a notch, just because well, Halloween 5, but Halloween 4, Jamie versus Julian, that's a real contest right there. That's fair. I might give it to Jamie on that one, but man, they're that both That might be great. nostalgia for you. That might be... That, that's great. Uh, Julian's the best. But Vicky puts Julian to bed. Allison sees Cameron kissing another girl. Dude, she walked away for a minute to answer the phone. You're going to just start macking on another chick? This was weird. Dumbass. And he, he turns out he's drunk and like trying to lie about it. And Allison calls him on his bullshit. And so he takes her phone and just dumps it in the the, the fruit punch. Or like the pudding or, or whatever something. that was. Was like, you're going to get your phone? And, well, well I mean, yes. That's... Yes, one, you should get your phone. This is actually, I like this because... Like, this is a good reason for Allison not to have her phone for the rest of the movie. This is writing. Yeah, I don't like it because if someone puts my phone into some pudding, I'm going to get it out. Yeah, and, you know, maybe she got it and it doesn't work anymore. Maybe, but it was ringing and you could hear it in the pudding. I don't know. I, I get it, though, because the point was, like, he kind of put himself between her and the phone and she's like whatever i'm not taking any more steps toward you it was kind of a hostile situation yeah, at oh that yeah. point i mean not like michael myers hostile but definitely like you're making me uncomfortable and i'm not gonna stand for this i'm leaving yeah and she just gets out of there and cameron leaves the movie and we're done with him and he's gone and he lives so literally the only reason cameron was here was to get rid of allison's phone yep. uh he's a plot device yes He's a anti-device plot device. So Lori's driving around. She's listening to the scanner. She's waiting. She's ready. She's uh, she's ready to go take down Michael. Dave arrives to see Vicky at Julian's house, and they're making out on the couch. And Vicky hears a weird noise upstairs, and gets Dave to go check it out. But Julian comes downstairs. He's like, "There's a man in my room." Classic stuff. And they're like, "Oh, you silly goose. There's no man in your room." And Dave just goes outside to smoke while Vicky goes upstairs to check. Seems to be all good, except Michael Myers is in the closet. <laughs> and they both try running, but Vicky's wearing socks and slips on the, the the wooden floor. Wear sensible footwear. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I understand why you're not wearing shoes in somebody's house. Bare I, feet are better than socks. I get it, but yeah. Rule 34, wear sensible footwear. Cheers. Oh my god, cheers. Don't wear socks in the house. If you get attacked, it's easy to slip. If you wear bare feet, you're less likely to slip. That's... So. Eh. Or have carpet, you know? Yeah. Or, or just put carpet in everything. Carpet in the bathrooms. Carpet everywhere. <laughs> carpet in the kitchens. Carpet the ceilings. 34, wear sensible footwear. I haven't had this rule in a while, but here we are. Hey, th- this just validates it. You know, one might be uh, one might be extraordinary, but two, there, it's not quite a pattern, but, yep. you know, it's recurred. <laughs> and by the way, I just want to say, to Julian's credit... He knew when to cut ties, and he dipped right on out because he he runs into Dave at the bottom of the steps. He's like, you go up there, you die. And then yep. he leaves. 
Yeah, Vicky, you know, Julian hesitates for a second, but Vicky's like, Julian, run. And uh, he's like, okay. Michael stabs Vicky to death. And it was just the, the shoes thing for her, I think. Yeah. You've got no reason to suspect anything. Again, I'm flabbergasted that none of them are getting notifications of a serial killer on the loose on their phones. Yeah. That is my biggest... Like, this is 2018. This isn't a movie that came out in 2018 that's, like, 1995. Because we've, talk, we've discussed that. Like, we'll be like, oh, this is the era where there are no cell phones. I think I've got this. So, all the kids, they're, they're, they, they follow this on, like, social media, right? Maybe this isn't showing up on, like, their Twitters and stuff because they don't follow this kind of thing. But maybe since they're all at the party, none of them know about it. So, therefore, that doesn't infect that bubble at all because none of them know. I guess, but don't they have those alerts that sometimes go out, like your blue alerts or your uh, orange alerts or amber alerts, and they can, like, buzz everybody's phones? I guess, but I don't know if they have that for this kind of thing. I think you can send out something, like... Don't know. <laughs> and if we don't have that, we should have that. Or or put off the tornado alarms or something. I mean, they're in... Is it Illinois? Yeah, they've got tornado sirens. Do something. Yeah, yeah the police should, maybe should fire off the... Some, someone needs to be doing their damn job somehow. Yeah. I, th- there's a failure here. That being said, Vicky wasn't wearing the right footwear. You're not going to go not inspect the kid's room. Actually, she was doing her job as a babysitter, trying to get him back asleep. Unfortunate situation. Yep. And Julian just runs the hell out of the house and tells Dave he should leave, too. Julian knows when to get out. Yep. Dave, in the meanwhile, wants to go help his girlfriend because he can hear her screaming, so he grabs a knife. And we don't see him die, but he's going to go confront Michael and get killed. Yeah, this is a knowing when to cut ties. Rule number 35, knowing to cut ties, uh, rule 11, get out. We, we don't see him die. We find his body later. Another good reveal. Pinned to the wall. Pinned classic the, Michael Myers. Pinned to the wall. Not Nothing else to say about Dave. No. So the police get the call about what's going on. I assume Julie and Randy were neighbors and called the cops. So the police are on their way. Lori's on, on her way to Julian's house. Hawkins arrives first, and he enters by himself. Should have waited for backup. Yep. On that one, I think. Roll number 12, wait for backup. Not the best. But he goes in the house, and he starts looking around. And you were getting frustrated because he wasn't turning on any lights. Yeah, this is something I think I had an issue with in, I think it might have been Halloween 1 even, where it just felt like they never turned on their lights mm-hmm. when they should be. Now, we've had in Halloween movies where they try to turn on the lights, but there, there was a time in this movie series where Michael was a strategic mastermind and he was cutting the power and cutting the lines and cutting the phones. Like, that's what he did. That was what he did before he entered a house, especially of our main characters. But we don't see any of that in in yeah. this particular timeline. Some of the lights were on in Julian's house. Yeah. Just not all of them. So why aren't you turning on the lights? It's not like you're... I mean, I understand, you know, don't give away your position, but you're like saying, you know, come out, police. You're already giving away your position. Yeah. At least give yourself another sense to work with. Rule number two, constant vigilance. <sighs> Turn the lights on. Lori arrives at the house and she's like scaring the kids away. She's like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> get lost, kids. I love it. Hawkins finds Vicky dead, and Lori sees Michael in an upstairs window next to the one Hawkins is in. And this is fun. This is the one scene in the movie where Michael is played by Nick Castle, who played Michael in the original Halloween. They brought him back for one scene, and then he did the breathing sound effects, too. So that was kind of fun. But Lori fires. You know, she falls for number 22, takes the shot. Unfortunately, she was seeing his reflection in a mirror, so she got anything. But this tips off Hawkins. And he sees Michael, and they're both shooting at Michael. Got two people shooting at Michael from two different directions. I like the sequence. Lori hits him once. Yeah, Michael gets out of the house and runs away. Uh, Lori lands one shot in his shoulder, but it has no effect. It, it does nothing. It does literally nothing. And uh, Hawkins finds Dave, uh, Dave's body on his way out of the house. And then Hawkins accidentally scares Lori, and she punches him in the face. <laughs> 
Don't sneak up on people. Yeah. Don't be a menace. I'm sure it was a complete accident, yes, but it, it was still kind of funny. So the sheriff, and the last time we're going to see the sheriff in this movie, the sheriff shows up with Dr. Sartain, and it's like, yeah, he's going to help you on this case now. And Hawkins is like, fucking why, though? Well, he's an asset, see? Not at all. So now we got this team of four who are going to work together and take down Michael, except the sheriff's going to leave the movie and Dr. Sartain's a bad guy. So not really. <laughs> Avengers assemble, except it's more like We're... Captain America before the serum and Black Widow, who's much older, and Loki and... Hawkeye. Yeah, I don't know. It's the worst Avengers <laughs> ever. This this is a really bad Avengers movie. And, and Michael Myers is an Avengers-level threat, so... I... <laughs> <laughs> I can see Dr. Loomis. I'd like to talk to you about the Avengers Initiative. Oh, my God. I can definitely see in, like, if they made the event Marvel movies in, like, the 70s, uh, that Dr. Loomis plays Nick Fury. I could I, totally see I that. I could see that. That'd be freaking awesome. <laughs> I'd love that. And, and this is interesting. So, Lori mentions at this point she's been praying every single day for Michael to escape because she wants to kill him. Kind of fucked up, Lori. Did you will this new existence? Did you manifest this? You know, here's the thing. At that point, just say what you're going to say. Yeah. Like, y'all know that I'm unstable. <laughs> like, she's kind of got a free pass. You know, I can say whatever I want. Yeah, and I do like that at first Hawkins is like, we don't need your help. And she's like, I'm not even going to, like, bother addressing that because I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm working with this. I'm like, eh, fine. <laughs> like, well, you know, I guess. You are the makes, expert. Makes sense. It feels weird because I know that in real life, a police officer would never allow... Honestly, she would probably get arrested. Probably. But. Which... You know, maybe some Rule 3 here violation with, like, doing your job. Extenuating circumstances, exposition, yada, yada, yada. I think they know that they can use her help. I think deep down, like, she's probably going to be useful. Uh, who was, uh, which movie was it with the Redneck Squad? Was that Halloween 5? Halloween 4. 4, where just, like, the Redneck Squad just goes and hops in the beds of their truck, yeah. holding on to the, the sheriff overhead gets lights. gets really mad at Dr. Loomis for doing that. Yeah. This is great. And they end up shooting some guy rando in the yep. bushes, and it's great. It's so great. Vigilante justice has turned out poorly for people in the past. Yes, another head and field universes. Meanwhile, Allison and Oscar are hanging out and walking down the street, and they still have no idea they're in a horror movie. Then <sighs> does Oscar not have a phone? Come on now. Okay. Anyway, and then Doctor Sartain, Hawk, and Hawkins are driving around. They're teamed up. And they're driving around, and Sartain's like, I want to know what Michael feels when he kills. That's weird. Why would you say that? Uh, yeah, uh, Hawkins, you might be in a horror movie right now. But Hawkins is too focused because he's like, I'm going to kill Michael. I'm going to, he's learned from past events, rule 21. I'm not going to, like, arrest him again. I'm going to kill Michael and end this threat. Yeah. Uh, there's Solid. Gonna, there's going to be no more Halloween sequels. I like this. Yeah, that's the exact right mindset at it, this point. For his job and what yeah. he needs to be doing. And it makes complete sense. Like, the first time, yeah, arrest him. Okay, we're doing this again. Well, I'm just going to put him down. Yeah. Cool. Love it. Oh, shoot. Finger slipped. Oh, no. He, he came at me with a knife. Oh, no. I didn't have my body camera on. <laughs> Look at there. He's coming right for us. <laughs> So the police and Lori at this point, they go pick up Karen and Ray, and they're going to take them. Uh, well, they, they want to get Allison too, but none of them can get a hold of Allison, so they all go to Lori's house, her fortress, but they're going to leave an officer behind in case Allison comes home, which is a good plan. It's not going to do them any good to drive around the neighborhood looking for Allison. I just love how they don't really address it. They're like, eh, we're going to the cabin, and uh, you know, if she never gets here, she never gets here. Like, they try calling her a lot, but yeah. she just doesn't answer. So yeah. uh, Lori's probably thinking, yeah, she's dead. I can see that. Or, you know, or, you know, you just have to hope that 
she's going to be out of the warpath. Rule number 14 is don't go looking for missing people, and they do, they follow this rule. Which is hilarious and dark, and I like I didn't know how to feel about it. I'm like, oh, well, they're going to go looking for Allison. They're never even going to really get a chance to go to the cabin. And they're like, no, we're going to the cabin uh, some somehow, some way, Allison. We'll find her way here. And I think... They don't say it, but they. Uh, it's because Laurie and Karen both know that house is a trap built for Michael. Right. So it makes sense for them to go there. If that's the ultimate objective is to stop Michael. Yes. Allison and Oscar, they cut through a yard, and Oscar tries to make a move on Allison, gets rejected, and Allison leaves and leaves him behind. And Oscar just kind of like sits in the yard like, oh, I'm sad. And he thinks he sees the, the owner of this yard out in the backyard, just starts like talking. He's like, "Man, have you ever been rejected by a girl you really liked?" It's a really funny scene, <laughs> but we all know it's Michael. Yes, it's not the neighbor. And eventually, he realizes it's Michael. It takes a while, but you know, there's the uh, motion sensing lights. That's like, cool. Turning on and off. Really cool scene. Oscar screams and runs. And what should be noted is Oscar is wearing I don't know what his like costume. A Superman or something. It's, he's got a cape. He's got a cape. Uh, it's this weird costume. I don't really know what it is, but he has a cape on. So he tries climbing this gate to get away from Michael, and his cape gets caught on the gate, and he's, he's stuck. So we have a brand new rule here tonight, folks. Rule number 48, no capes. No capes. No capes. No capes. There is a reason Edna says this in The Incredibles, because your cape can get caught on a missile. It can get caught on an elevator. It can get caught into a jet turbine. There's tons of ways to die. And it can get caught on a gate. It can get caught on a gate. There's tons of ways to die while wearing a cape. And that's just true in general of any dangly, unnecessary outfit. You know, a scarf, for example. Same thing could happen. You know, your scarf gets caught in a subway, you get dragged away. Or, Ryan, your personal favorite, personal... As, as, as a security guard, why don't you tell the good people about ties? I've heard the lecture yep. enough. What's one more? So, this, this, this presses a few buttons with me because ties are the single worst invention mankind has ever created. Ties are not only useless, but they are detrimental to your safety. When I was a security guard, some gigs, you had to wear a suit. You had to look nice, presentable, and look like you're wearing a tie. Those were clip-on ties. So if you ever in an altercation with somebody and they wanted to grab you and punch you, just came right off. Clip-on, clip-off. We weren't allowed to wear regular ties because they could strangle you or just grab you with it. It makes you vulnerable. So I have a personal rule. Unless I am in a wedding party where I'm like a groomsman or uh, the best man, I do not wear ties. I will never wear a tie again unless you know I'm in a wedding party because the bride will murder me if I don't. <laughs> I, I, at, at that at that point, it's safer to wear the tie. It's safer to wear the tie than make the bride mad. Uh, I'm aware of that. But one day when when I get married, if I get married, I will not wear a tie at my wedding, or at least I won't like you know maybe a clip on. I could be coerced into wearing a clip on tie, but I will not wear a tie. Ever again, otherwise. Not to a funeral, not to a job interview. Ties are are stupid and dangerous. And they could get caught on a gate. And you could get you could actually get strangled like climbing over a gate. It gets hooked on the top and you're gonna strangle to death. You know, Michael could grab it and just stab you. There's a million ways to die wearing a tie. No capes, no ties, no scarves, nothing like that. And so just to be clear, even though this literally comes up for the first time in the 45 horror movies that you've watched, where this is like a direct result of dangly apparel, killing somebody. Yep. So it's going to be called No Capes because it's a snappy one-liner. This is in reference to detrimental apparel, loose articles of clothing. This is basically the warning sign on the back of every piece of heavy equipment, heavy machinery you've ever seen. Do not wear loose articles of clothing because it will get caught. It will suck you into the machine. You will lose an arm or lose your life. Yep. 
It's kind of the same thing here. It's very similar to wear sensible footwear. Yeah, this is the perfect compliment because now it's just like, all right, well, just wear your uh, cargo shorts, your tennis shoes, maybe zip off, maybe zip off cargo shorts, zip off cargo pants. Uh, no, wait, let's do, let's do this. Let's go through this. Yep. Ryan, what is the perfect outfit? All right, so um, socks when you're outdoors are fine. You need to wear them with shoes. I get that. You need indoors, no socks, but you're wearing some decent socks with shoes that are either running shoes or hiking boots. Nothing else is necessary. Cargo pants slash shorts, the ones that you can like zip the shorts on and off. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's just some sort of shirt of any kind, really, you know, the, the tight fitting though. Uh, and then ideally a jacket with lots of pockets. Yes. So like a hunting jacket would be ideal. Camouflage is good. Dark colors are great. So so a jacket and then maybe like an orange vest that you can fold up and put away. Yeah. It depends on if you need it. Uh, so yeah, if you could like have like a camo jacket that had like Maybe reversible, you could an orange on the inside. Yeah, like just, reflective on the yeah, inside. Something like that, where you could cover and uncover it as needed. Yeah, and probably a hat just to be keep this safe, keep the sun out of your eyes. Yep, yep. I dig it. Yep, lots of pockets. It's lots of pockets. More equipment you can carry. Yeah, but no capes, no capes, no ties, no ties, no scarfs, and no high heels. Perfect. Okay, you heard it here first, folks. No Pro- probably no Crocs or flip flops no. either. No flip flops, no Crocs, and, and that's because it's a crime against nature, not because it's going to get you killed. <laughs> Fewer Crocs, you deserve to get killed. <laughs> that's not true. <laughs> but yes, no capes. So that is rule number forty-eight. So Oscar's caught out the gate. Michael kills him. Um, Allison hears all the screaming and runs back and finds Oscar dead, and sees Michael for the first time. And John Carpenter's new score kicks in, and it's fucking awesome it is it is good people it's one of my favorite scores it's so good allison takes off running and we get a little bit of a reversal of the first movie uh this goes all the way back to the winner of our original randy meeks merit badge uh the neighbors in halloween one when laurie strode went banging on the door of a house and some neighbors were home but didn't help her this time allison's gonna go banging on the door of a house and the neighbors are going to help her and they're gonna live yeah they don't pay for it they don't pay for it but rule number 30 don't be a good samaritan (laughs) Yeah, I no no don't do it. But they they help her out. They they let her in and they call the cops for her. So Lori, Karen, and Ray and some of the cops they get to Lori's house. They go down in the basement and Lori gives Ray a gun. Karen doesn't take one yet, but Ray's got a gun now. Roller five, lock and load. There you go. Lori's got so many guns. Hawkins and Doctor Sertain arrive and they they pick up Allison, and they're gonna drive back to Lori's place. But they spot Michael on the way. Hawkins just runs Michael over with his car. Use your car as a weapon. Use your vehicle as a weapon. This yep. is a rule. Yep, that is rule number 39. I uh, love it. This is great. Hawkins gets out. He's going to go shoot Michael in the head and call it a day. But Dr. Sertain gets in the way and is like, no, you can't shoot him. You know, don't. He's property of the state. He's my patient. You stay away from him. And Hawkins is like, no, fuck that. Get out of the way. I'm going to shoot him in the head. So Sertain stabs Hawkins in the throat and kills him. He's got a little pen knife and stabs Hawkins to death. And I can't blame Hawkins for this because who would have seen this coming? Nobody saw this coming. I mean, maybe the audience a little bit, but I mean, for Hawkins, what like what are you supposed to think? I mean, I guess maybe like the most minor role to constant vigilance in the world, but that's like negligible. Mm-hmm. You know, you got your gun trained on Michael. I'm not worried about this this doctor. You know, he's you know a doctor would be like, no, we can't kill him. You know, a Hippocratic oath and whatnot. It sucks. Because Hawkins was, wasn't perfect, but he was pretty good. I loved his mindset in this movie. Mm-hmm. Loved it. And, oh, he's dead now. Yep. He almost didn't get enough to do for me. Like, I wish we would have gotten to see yep. more. 
Like maybe maybe Lori uses him as bait in the cabin. Like maybe yeah. he makes it that far, and then you just see how uh, disconnected Lori is from everyone except her family. Mm-hmm. So just like use him as bait, he dies, and it's sad. But then later on, you know, you get a whole different kind of payoff. Sure. But no, someone had to die because of this weird betrayal from Doctor Sultan. Sartain. Sartain and uh. Yep. This whatever. is where we learn Sartain is behind everything. Or not really, but he just behind the escape, or probably behind the escape. Right, like he he was the the the, the he was the catalyst to yeah. the entire movie. He started all this, and he kind of just wants to see what Michael's gonna do, and he wants to really see him go up against Laurie. That's what he really wants to see, like we all want to see. Which this is, um, I, I want to talk about this a little bit because Laurie, as well as um, the Doctor, they kind of think that Michael has something. Against Lori, yeah, but but we know as the audience that that's not the case. This reinforces Rule Forty Seven. Fuck destiny. There is no fate here. It's not about pitting Lori against Michael Myers in some kind of duel of the fates. You know, uh, you know, fight of the ages kind of thing. That's yep. not what's going on here. Michael's just killing everybody within arm's reach, and he just happens to end up getting placed near Lori because Doctor Sartain made it so. Yep. He is the reason that this prophetic moment ever even occurs. He is the reason for the season. <laughs> yes he is <laughs> yeah and so he puts on the michael mask and for a second i thought I'm like is he gonna be the killer for the rest of the movie that's stupid i thought that for a second too but that's not what happens allison's in the back of the cop car and can't get out so she's just screaming at this point but then he opens up the back throw, puts michael in and shuts the door and leaves her in there this has been the this was the opportunity to make a move allison mm-hmm. uh, allison's really good in this movie but this is her biggest mistake R- right because i mean this is at this point when that door opens and this guy is dragging this lummox into your back seat this is a part of don't get taken to a secondary location because yep. you are now kidnapped yep rule number 38 don't let yourself get taken to a secondary location yeah who knows what he's got planned for you so now's the time to get out of here. Fight your way out. Rule 17, never give up the next thing you try my work. Fight your way out of this car. Uh, maybe you'll get killed along the way, but you'll have better odds. Instead of being trapped in the back of a car with Michael. That never goes well for anybody. No. I mean, it's going to go fine for her, it's surprisingly. Go fine for her, surprisingly. Like, fine th- th- this is luck. This and, is pure and, luck. And, and I have a theory about it, but, you know, it's okay. We'll get there. So then they drive off. So then we meet these two cops who are posted outside of Lori's gate, front gate, and these cops are hilarious. Yeah, there's nothing really to them. I'm um, just talking about their food. Really funny scene. Uh, I love these guys. This is how a stakeout would be. Yep. Uh, I just like that all these, even like little bit parts, they get a little bit of character before uh-huh. they get killed. Uh-huh. That's how I like my slashers. This is this is great. Allison tells Dr. Sertain, like, hey, Michael said a word to me, because that's what he really wants. He wants Michael to say something. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, you got to tell me what he, he said. And Allison's like, if you let me go, I'll tell you. And so he stops the car. Mm-hmm. She's not giving up now. She's trying something. Yeah, Diplomacy. Diplomacy. <laughs> Before any of this can happen, they they park down the street from Lori's house. The cops are kind of seeing them off in the distance. Yeah. But Michael wakes up and just kicks down the the grate between the back and the front of the squad car and just beats the shit out of Dr. Sartain. It's great. And actually, I want to rewind it a little bit because here's a big question. He was locked in the back seat with Allison. Why did he kill Dr. Sartain? He said Judith. Right before Michael Myers woke up and immediately killed him to death. I think he actually pissed Michael off. Could be. By saying that name. And so Michael woke up, woke up and was like, no, you don't say that. Could be. And killed him. And so it was almost like it was, it was a heat-seeking missile. Because most, you know, missiles will kill everybody. Yep. 
But if you're the hottest target on a heat-seeking missile's radar, it's coming for you. And I, they don't draw any attention to it, but I, I had to try and justify it, and it felt like that was the reason they did it, because he's like, Judith. Was that the word? Did he say Judith? And then Michael gets up and kicks down the, the back window. So I, I actually really enjoyed that, because it was... Michael's not really human, mm-hmm. but it was a humanizing moment, like, oh, oh, he can get mad. Yep. And he's going to drag uh, Dr. S- uh, Sartain out of the car and just stomp his head in. Best kill of the movie. Very graphic, yeah. Very good. And Allison seizes the opportunity to just run away into the woods. Yeah. Solid move. Get out. Yeah. And guess what? Michael does not follow her. No. Because the two cops show up at this point. They drive yeah. over. And they see Dr. Sartain dead. And they don't see Michael. Michael somehow got behind him. And they're going to get killed. We're not going to see it. But I can only assume rule two, constant vigilance. Yeah. Again, I this is the last movie for a while I get to say this. I always have to throw an asterisk next to it when you're talking about Michael Myers because for some reason he has just superhuman silence. Yep. But nonetheless, there are two of you. You should have been able to get more done. Yeah. At the house, Ray is hanging out near the cameras and he sees the cops pull up. He gets his gun and goes outside. Don't leave your shelter. Yep. Rule eight. Rule eight. Don't leave your shelter. He should have stayed inside waiting for the cops to come to him. But he goes outside and finds the two cops dead in the car. Michael is behind him and strangles him to death. But he does fire one shot off, which warns Laurie and Karen what's going on before he gets killed. But again, rule number two, constant vigilance. Rule number eight, don't leave your shelter. That's it for Ray. So Laurie sees Michael outside, and it's go time. She she locks the door because Ray had left it open. Stupid. Um, She locks them in. She gets Karen to hide down in the basement. But then Laurie does something kind of dumb. She stands right up next to the front door, just like up against it, bracing herself. And this is a violation of rule number 33. Never assume you're safe. We saw this ex- pretty much exact same thing happen in Leprechaun, uh, where you stand up to the door and they're ready to go. And then they somehow like punch through the wall or through a window and grab you. And that's exactly what happens. And this could have easily gotten Lori killed here. Very bad call. Back up a little bit. Well, and I was going to say, this is almost just keep your distance. Mm-hmm. You don't know where they're going to come at your shelter. And anyone who's ever seen any movie with any kind of action in it ever, you always see it where, like, the door gets broken down and someone's holding the door and then a sword comes through the door, like, inches from their face and they go, whoa. Yeah. You know, and, and most of the time it's just for, like, theatrical effect. Yeah. But this is a door with glass on it. And, of course... Michael's just going to reach through that glass, grab her by like the head and the neck, and just start, start to try and strangle her. So keep your distance, constant vigilance, never assume you're safe. There, there's a number of things that kind of fit here, but not good for someone who claims to be or has shown to be quite the survivalist. Yeah. Luckily, she follows rule number seven. She doesn't leave her weapon behind. She, no. She's still got, holding under her shotgun, and she manages to shoot Michael's uh, fingers off, a couple of his fingers off. Good stuff. She took the shot. Close shot, but it was good. So she joins Karen in the basement, turns the floodlights on for her, her fortress. Michael breaks down the door. And Lori starts firing through the through the ceiling of the basement at Michael, and so she and then they stop hearing Michael because Lori landed a shot, and so she goes out to like look around. She's gonna go out of the offensive, leave Karen down in the basement, and try and just hunt Michael down. And it's actually really freaking cool because Lori started clearing her room. She goes in her room, clears it, no Michael in there, and then she has a like a at a shopping mall. They put the gates down in front of the stores at mm-hmm. night. It's exactly like that, so Michael can't get back in there. It's just like making the, it's shrinking, it's like Fortnite, it's shrinking the, the battlefield. Yeah, it's shrinking the battlefield. The storm is coming. The storm is coming. I really like this a lot. Yeah, I wasn't expecting it, I'm like, oh, 
it was it was a little thing, but all of a sudden I was like, oh, like how are they going to play into this? Honestly, I was waiting for her to go into a room and Michael to hit one of it and lock her in one of the rooms and then go for Karen. Mm-hmm. I wanted it so badly. It doesn't happen. No. But well, I was just like, oh, this is so cool. It, it's really awesome. She goes upstairs because she finds some blood stains, so she follows the trail upstairs. It leads to a closet, which is kind of like a play on the original movie where Laurie hides in a closet. Let's be real. They fake us out with a couple closets yeah. in this in this sequence, and I'm just, ah, come on. I'm glad Michael never hides in a closet. Yes. That wouldn't make sense. Me too. But um, he, it, does, they, he does hide Ray's body. Yeah. He puts Ray's body in the closet. And it, this is in a room where Lori's got a bunch of her mannequins from her target shooting range, and she's got a room full of them. Uh, well, I'm just glad they set it up. Yeah, gotta put them somewhere. <laughs> gotta put them somewhere. Michael's hiding behind one of them and eventually attacks her. Yeah. Brief fight, and uh, Michael tosses Lori out the window off the balcony, just like he that happened to him in the first movie. She does get her weapons knocked out of her hand at this point, but, you know, she's a 60-year-old woman fighting Michael Myers. Yeah, so, like, yes, technical rule violation. Yep. We're gonna, t- we, you know, rule we, have seven. To, we have to say it, but... Yep. We get it. It's great. And at this point, Allison arrives at the house. She's been running through the woods this whole time. And she's like, Mom, Grandma? And Michael hears this, gets distracted, and it turns back around and Lori's gone. Oh, shit. They did the thing. They did the thing. I love it. I love it. I love it so much. I'm so excited that Lori pulled all the old switcheroo on Michael. <laughs> and Lori's going to disappear for a while. Yeah. And that's And you pointed this out, and I didn't even really notice it. Because so often in these movies, we have our characters walking around the house, and we have no idea where Michael is. Mm-hmm. Michael's walking around, so we have no idea where Laurie is. And Yeah, because they, they touched on this whole thing with Sartain earlier in the movie, or, or with the podcasters. Or I don't remember who talks about it, but it was this whole idea of predator and prey, and who is who, and yeah. the fear of the prey becoming the predator, and, and the predator becoming the prey. And then all of a sudden, we have the over-the-shoulder shot of Michael going through the house looking for his prey, yeah. and he can't find them. So I'm just like... Oh, there's, they said a clever girl. Mm-hmm. There, I, I knew I knew shenanigans were coming. I didn't know how. I didn't know what it looked like. But I just, I knew. The the, the visual storytelling was there. We always have to joke, like, it was almost a movie. It's almost, almost a, movie. a movie. No, this was genuinely good stuff. Yeah, I This agree. was really good. I really like this. So Michael manages to figure out that the entrance to the basement is underneath the kitchen island secret passage thing. And he starts trying to break in, lift it up. Because uh, and before this, Karen had managed to get Allison down to the basement. So Karen and Allison are down there, and Michael's gonna come in. They know it. Yep. So Karen gets a gun ready. She she's got her old childhood rifle, and she's pointed up the stairs. Michael opens the door, but doesn't enter right away. And Karen starts breaking down, crying, screaming for her mom. I can't do this. I can't do this. And I was so frustrated when I was watching this in the theaters. I was I was like, come on, are you serious? And Michael enters frame he's about to come downstairs and karen says gotcha shoots him in the head oh that's the stuff michael you got got you got got uh rule number 23 knowing to play possum oh man karen what a g yeah (laughs) i love this so much it was so cool yes and and the way she's like gotcha (laughs) and so this injures michael and Lori appears and stabs Michael and kicks his ass down the stairs into the basement. <laughs> and, uh, oh, it's so good. They, they set a trap. This whole thing is a trap. Mm-hmm. It's a trap. It's brilliant. Guys. And you have to wonder, is that why Karen had to stay down there? She's the, the whole time? She, like, she, it took her a while to grab the gun, but it was like, you know, do I need to use it? Do I need to use it? And it ended up she needed to do it. Yep. But 
yeah, they it was a trap the whole time. Like, we need Michael down here, so we need someone to try and draw him out. Someone's got to be the bait. Yeah. It's Karen and Allison. They run upstairs, but Michael grabs Karen. Allison grabs a knife and stabs Michael in the hand with it. So it's all three of these women, uh, three generations of Strodes, just kicking ass. I love it. And finally, they, they get uh, Karen free, and Lori activates her uh, trap card. Yes. <laughs> and uh, Swords of light. <laughs> Sorts of revealing light. It's revealed this whole thing is a cage, and they trap Michael inside it. Uh, they flip a switch, and all these bars come out, locking Michael in. And, like, gas starts filling the room, and they're going to blow him up. And they, they drop a flare down in there, and it starts the room on fire. And this whole house is wired to burn down. Just flamethrowers everywhere. Everywhere. Gas and flamethrowers. And, and they start the thing on fire and get out of the house and leave Michael to fucking burn. So it turns out that Lori has rigged this entire Cabin in the Woods thing to follow Dr. Loomis's advice that we heard on the recording earlier, which was basically incinerate him into nothingness. That is the only way that I can see. It's amazing. It's such a good reveal. Oh, I love it. So they get out, they, they run out to the street, and they flag down a truck driver driving by. Rule number 13, don't pick up hitchhikers. Don't pick up hitchhikers. Random dude. And they've got, like, guns and knives and stuff. Like, this is... What? No! Why did he pick them up? It's, a, it's okay. Maybe maybe they know him. Maybe it's like oh maybe. maybe it's maybe it's Lori's neighbor and he's like yeah that seems about right. This All is right, about, about par for the oh blood okay well and maybe they know about Michael. Um, maybe. maybe they're like oh maybe they're running from Michael Myers. Yeah, you know maybe but yeah. they finally sounded the alarm on the smartphones. But the last couple of shots of the room burning down, we don't see Michael anywhere. And then after the credits, we hear Michael breathing, implying he's still alive. And considering there's a sequel, two sequels coming out in the next two years, I would guess he's alive. Yeah. But that is the end of Halloween 2018. And what an ending it was. So we get one new rule from Halloween 2018. No capes. No capes. That's rule 48, no capes. Good, good rule. Good rule. I'm happy it's there. I'm and happy, I'm happy I was here for it. Yeah, I was excited to get this one on here. I've been sitting on this roll for a while, just waiting for the time to put it in, and here we go. So let's get into some awards. First, we have the Randy Meeks Merit Badge, which goes to the character who did the best job at following the rules. And this is, of course, based off Randy from Scream. There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a horror movie. And this one's tricky. This one's really tricky. Derek, do you have any thoughts on who should win this award? At risk of sounding overly obvious... I want to say Lori. Okay. She makes her fair share of mistakes, but ultimately she's dedicated her entire life to surviving an encounter with Michael Myers by defeating him. Mm-hmm. And for all intents and purposes, everything went off without a hitch. Granted, there's ambiguity at the end because it's a horror movie, specifically a Halloween movie. But to me, the move of the movie is the fact that they were just like, well, don't know where Allison is. We're going to the cabin anyway. <laughs> Bye. Um, she flubs some communication stuff, which was, you know, be careful what you say and how you say it. She got too close to the door and that got her into some trouble. But ultimately, I, I think those were the only two big rule breaks by Lori. And other than that, I mean, she had Michael on his heels. And anytime you can do that, I think it warrants greater consideration for this award. But I'm I'm anxious to see if you have anyone else to nominate. So I, I think overall I agree with you, but there there's a few things I want to say. And the reason why, I, ultimately, I want to give it to Lori. I do. Uh, but it's more because of the, the, the lifestyle choices she's made in dedicating her whole life to making this trap. Exactly. Like, she had this all planned out. She was ready for this. She had all these tools. She built a prison for this guy that she was going to burn down with him in it. It's amazing, amazing stuff. And the gold standard of what we would want 
to live up to here on the How to Survive a Horror Movie podcast. If she hadn't done all of that stuff, if they took some of the survival elements away, I wouldn't give it to her because there's a couple of other characters who do a really great job, but they're barely facing Michael. For example, Julian. Julian is the only other one that I wanted to throw out. Julian just gets the hell out of his house. It's Gone. very it's very reminiscent of the neighbors winning the first one where it's just kind of like, oh, I'm in a horror movie? Okay, bye. Yeah. So Julian is great uh, and definitely worthy of an honorable mention. Karen, she doesn't get a whole lot to do in the movie, but when she does, she delivers. She nails the headshot. She helps put Michael down in the cage. She plays the bait very well. Karen is also great. Yes. Hawkins as well. You know, he did go in the house alone and didn't turn the lights on, but his mindset is exactly what we're looking for here. And everything else he did, he did right. So we have a group of four characters who are all... I would say, worthy of winning this award. And honestly, Allison is more deserving than some of the Randy Meeks yep. winners that we have assigned in the past. Yeah, Allison is also very good. We have a laundry list of characters who, in any other movie, would have won this. Yes. So the, so I guess the question is, do those like two mistakes on Lori's part outweigh all of these lifestyle choices and all this preparation? And I would say no. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you. It, it sucks that we can't give out multiples. Mm-hmm. Because all of these people are really great, and I, I do want to give them honorable mentions. Hawkins, Allison, Karen, Julian. Remember those names. They're worthy of remembrance. <laughs> they are all excellent. A, A's for all of them. But because of this 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 whole plan and just the way she's planned her life preparing for this, Lori is the winner of the Randy Meeks Merit Badge. Is that the th- is that the third time that we gave it to Lori? I uh, know. I think it's only the second. Who would have gotten it in H2O then? I think that's when Lori got it. Oh, oh, that's right, that's right, because it was the neighbors in the first one. Got it, it was got Dr. It. Loomis in the second. In the second one, yep. I th- um, okay. And, and Buster Rhymes in the Resurrection. <laughs> and in uh, you know in the top Rob Zombie ones, it was... Uh, who the hell got it in Remake? Oh, it was Annie, Annie in the first one. And Sheriff Brackett in the second one. That's right. Um, so yeah, this is Laurie Strode's second time winning the Randy Meeks Merit Badge Award. Also, Jamie Lee Curtis' second time winning the Randy Meeks Merit Badge. The first time in this particular timeline. Yes, but, you know. Yeah, she uh, she did win for H2O as well, which, you know. Deserved. Yep. Uh, similar characters, but no, survivalist element, non-survivalist element. And I would, I you know what, because we can do this, I think that uh, Laurie Strode in H2O performed overall better. I will agree. Than I'll, this one. I will agree. She was more stable. Yeah. And that helps. A little bit um, younger a little also. Bit younger. So peak Laurie Strode is still H2O, but her mindset in this movie is just yeah. primo. Love this. So let's move on to our Night of the Living Club Award, which goes to the character who did the worst job at following the rules. And this is, of course, based off Barbara from Night of the Living Dead. And honestly, this is one of the easiest ones ever. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Stop it. You're ignorant. They're coming for you, Barbara. Do you think so? I think so. Um, because I, I'll throw out two. Okay. I'll say who I think it's going to, you know, who I want. But uh, let's go with number one, uh, Sartain. Because, you know, anytime that you release a serial killer upon the world and he ends up stomping your head in, that's not quite cure bad from Children of the Corn 5 where you jump into the flaming silo of eternity or whatever, or silo of eternal flame. So I want to throw him out there. But Kevin's dad was also pretty worthless in this movie, you happen across a crashed prison bus filled with 
unstable inmates just walking around willy-nilly. You have a hunting gun in your truck along with your son in the passenger seat, and you don't just get the heck out of Dodge. No, he got the heck out of Dodge, but he got out of his Dodge truck (laughs) to go be stupid. He should have done the other kind of getting the heck out of Dodge and driven away. And because of that, not only he dies, but his kid dies as well. And any rational human being... That would have been a complete avoidance of that horror movie. So I think Kevin's dad deserves it, uh, despite how Sartain is kind of the reason for this whole cascading effect. I think it's got to be Kevin's dad. Uh, I'm going to disagree. Kevin's dad is really bad. But Dr. Sartain is probably the biggest violator of rule number 32, play stupid games, win stupid prizes we've ever (laughs) had. What the... What the fuck was this guy thinking? He lets a serial killer out of prison, crashes a bus, uh, startles a kid and gets himself shot, stabs <laughs> Hawkins to death for no reason, gets in front of a man with a gun to try and protect Michael Myers, puts the mask on, puts Michael Myers, drags Michael Myers, puts him in a car, and gets his head stomped in just to see what would happen if Michael faced Laurie again. What the fuck was this guy thinking? This is utter stupidity. This is the opposite of everything we stand for here. Uh, he was, uh, you know, not only that, he was a menace, rule number four. This is so horrible and so misguided and so stupid that I I, I, I gotta go with Dr. Sartain here. Yeah, my, my only rebuttal is that because he was a bad guy. Yes. You know, but... I see where you're coming from. He 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 was he wasn't the villain. He was an antagonist. Yeah, he's the least competent villain. <laughs> like we've given it to villains before, but when their competency is so bad, and, and believe me, Kevin's dad would win in any other movie. Yeah, but Doctor Sartain, he, he was basically drawing dead. Yeah, they're both drawing dead. But there's a difference with having zero dollars in your bank account and overdrafting by like a thousand dollars. You know, they're 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 two they're two sides of the same coin. Kevin Zed wanted to be a good Samaritan. Dr. Sartain was a menace. They're, one was good, one was bad, and they both did incredibly stupid things. But I gotta go with Dr. Sartain. That, it makes sense. It makes sense. It's, uh, it, unbelievable. A lot of people didn't like that character in this movie. I don't mind him so much, but he's a fucking idiot. Yes, absolutely. All right. Now it's time to get to the Wheel of Spooks. And you're all wondering now, Halloween's off the board. Something new is coming on. What, what will it be? And unfortunately, I got bad news for you. Uh, our friend Tony wanted to be on the podcast, and he had a very specific request. He wanted to do the movie Tusk. Have you heard of it? Probably not. Well, actually, if you're listening to this podcast, you have probably heard of this movie. Justin Long gets turned into a walrus. It's definitely a horror movie. It's the worst possible kind of getting turned into a walrus. Like, you might be thinking Emperor's New Groove, like Evil po No, 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 no. No. It's a bizarre movie that I'm glad I watched once. I didn't need to watch again, but apparently I'm going to now because of Tony. Tony had not seen this whole thing. He really wants to watch it, um, and he requested it a long time ago before like hardly anything else got put in the waiting room. So I have decided to acquiesce to Tony's request. We're going to do Tusk. It's replacing Halloween on the wheel. Following that will be the spinoff from Tusk will be Yoga Hoser. So luckily this, this will only be a two-movie series. We can move on to better stuff. But unfortunately, Tusk is on the wheel now, and I'm not thrilled. So on the wheel today, we have Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, Children of the Corn 7, Revelation, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake, Tusk, Child's Play 3, Leprechaun 3, Saw 6, and Friday the 13th Part 4, the final chapter. Derek, go ahead and spin the wheel. All right, it is Friday the 13th Part 4, the final chapter. One of the better Friday the 13th movies. I'm okay with this. Um, not the best movie on here, but it's one of the better ones, I'd say. 
Probably top three. There you go. I'm cool with this. I like Friday the 13th Part 4. You're welcome. Don't know who my guest will be for that one. I gotta figure that out. Derek, you also get to reserve a movie. Because you've been reserving the Halloween movies for a while, making sure you, you get your claim on this series. So now you get to pick something brand new. What do you want What do you want to reserve? Achievement unlocked. 150 gamer score. Finishing the Halloween movies. It should have been a 500 gamer score. I, as I, If I remember right, I have Anna and the Apocalypse. I have The Exorcist. And I have... What was the last one? A Quiet Place. A Quiet Place. So... I've got a weird spread on there so far, but I'm going to go in a different direction entirely. So I think I'm going to reserve 28 Days Later, okay. which I believe is a movie that I, I have watched with you before, if I remember correctly. Sounds right. And it's been a long time, but the 28 Days Later zombies scarred me as a <laughs> child because when I thought of zombies when I was a kid, I kind of thought of like your Scooby-Doo style <laughs> zombies, like really slow walk and you can just get away from them. And then my uncle, he showed this movie to me when I was, I think, 11. I was young, and we were in my basement. The lights were off. The home theater system was on, and these zombies ran fast. They were ruthless. They were relentless. This movie was too much for an 11-year-old, we shall say. And you, so You I, could say they were too fast, too furious? They were too fast, three furious. So... But I'm excited to get into this in this series with you. There are, there are two so far, I believe, but nice short stint with probably the scariest zombies I've ever seen. So right. I'm excited. I dig it. Yeah. I like this. This will be fun. It'll be a while before we get to that, but... It's fine. One day. It's fine. Um, 28 days. All right. You can follow us on Twitter, at HowToHorror. That's How, the number two horror. Go ahead and follow us in there. Rate, review, usual stuff. Yada, yada. <laughs> Derek, thanks for being on the podcast. And thank you for finishing Halloween with me. 11 movies. It's done. It's finally over. Not an easy feat. Thank you for sticking with it. We made it. We made it. Unlike the Texas Chainsaw series. Yes. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, uh, so thank you once again. Absolutely. All right. This has been the How to Survive a Horror Movie Podcast. Stay safe out there. Uh, <laughs> uh,